Today is Sunday, December 4th, 2022. Do you suffer from gear acquisition syndrome? I know I do. Buckle your seatbelts and welcome to this edition of the Electric Guitar Lives podcast with Pete Williams. A fun and pithy celebration of the electric guitar, guitarists, related gear, and industry news from a seasoned guitar pro. Get your daily dose of all things guitar from an industry insider with over 20 years in the proverbial trenches. Be regaled with sordid tales of guitar and guitar news, amps, effects, artists, moodiers, and the interesting people that make up this wacky machine. So wind down with us as we cap each week off with a fresh out of the oven episode. Who knows what will happen? Maybe you'll laugh, maybe you'll cry. You might even learn something. Yeah, maybe you won't. But one thing's for sure, you'll be entertained. So hang with us for a bit, and thank you for joining us on the Electric Guitar Lives Podcast. Now here's your host, Pete Williams. In this week's episode, we're going to talk about Richard Hallebach. Uh, Jazz Fusion, a 1968 Fender Rosewood Tele, the first ever prototype built for Elvis Presley. Closet Classics, a 150-year-old Martin sold to an ex-Fender CEO. Pliny, How to Play Black Betty by Ram Jam, and more. So in this week's subject question, is YouTube killing the guitar industry? Uh, More specifically, is the YouTube guitar community helping or hurting the guitar industry? We'll get into that in this episode. Now here's a message from our sponsor, Making Music. Hey folks, did you know that Making Music is the number one dealer for custom Fender guitars in the world? That's a big deal. Making Music has been the original home of tone since 1973, and for over 40 years we've been committed to meeting the needs of our customers. Actually, almost 50 years. Making Music offers a hand-picked selection of premium boutique and custom gear. Our Northfield, Illinois showroom is open and comfortable with private, soundproof demonstration rooms for a pleasant shopping environment while our website is regularly updated with an incredible array of custom electric guitars, tube amplifiers, and effects pedals. Knowledgeable and courteous sales professionals are always available to help make sure the gear you want is the best choice to suit your needs. Whether you're looking to pick up a new hobby, push sonic boundaries, or simply to tweak your tone, making music is the place. In our first bit of news, we're going to be talking about Elvis Presley's 1968 Fender Rosewood Telecaster prototype, which is listed on Reverb as we speak. Uh, And I'm quoting this article from Reverb.com. A few days ago, a very special vintage guitar was listed on Reverb that we just had to highlight. This is a 1968 Fender Rosewood Telecaster that was built as a prototype guitar for Elvis Presley. If this setup sounds familiar, it's likely because we've written before about George Harrison's famous Rosewood Tele prototype. As it turns out, this guitar was made for and sent to Elvis 
at the same time that Harrison got his. This listing comes along with a letter from Fender's Nashville rep at the time, Eddie Miller, dated September 16, 1969, that verifies its provenance. According to the listing, the King himself used his one of six Rosewood Telecaster prototype intermittently over the months after he got it before ultimately deciding that it was too heavy for him. He sent it back to Eddie Miller, and the Rosewood Tele then made its way to Nashville producer Scotty Turner. Now the guitar is ready to take the mantle as the crown jewel of a new buyer's collection. Be sure to check out the listing for more pictures and information. Uh, Just do a search for it on Reverb.com, guys. Currently, this thing's listed for $295,000. Pretty cool. In our next bit of news, a 150-year-old Martin sells to an ex-Fender CEO. Uh, This article is from Guitar World. That 150-year-old Martin acoustic found in the back of a woman's house is sold to an ex-Fender CEO. Um, The owner, who unearthed this 1870s parlor guitar in her back room, will put the proceeds towards funding her daughter's chemotherapy treatment. And the article goes on, and I quote, In late October, it was reported that an 85-year-old woman based in New Zealand had stumbled on a piece of music history when she unearthed a dusty Martin acoustic guitar from the 1870s in her back room. At the time, the vintage parlor guitar was appraised by multiple experts from the U.S. and Martin historians and was valued at around $15,000, a sum that equated to a $25,000 New Zealand dollars. Armed with this info and with the backings of New Zealand's Studio One Vintage Guitars, Margaret Simpson, the owner of the 150-year-old acoustic, said that all funds raised from the sale of the ancient instrument would go towards supporting her daughter, Joe, who is undergoing chemotherapy treatment for terminal breast cancer. Now, the 1870 size 2 Style 34 guitar has been purchased by Larry Thomas, a former Fender CEO, who reportedly bought the Martin for $11,000, which is approximately $17,000 New Zealand dollars. I saw the guitar online, was curious to know more about it. I reached out, Thomas told, uh, excuse me, Thomas said. It was then I came to know about the owner and it being an old family possession. I hope this helps a woman continue her cancer treatment, he continued. I was not as much concerned about whether I had paid a few thousand too much but I'm happy to help contribute to the family. I'm excited to see him play this guitar, and I hope to be the custodian of this old Martin for the next few years. Thomas was appointed Fender CEO in August of 2010 and retired four years later. During his time with the company, he oversaw the launch of the Fender American Vintage and Select Series. He was formally succeeded by the company's current CEO, Andy Mooney. Uh, You can go to Guitar World and check that video out. There's also a neat uh, uh, video that goes into the story. It's a cool story, I feel. Um, Be sure to uh, check out the uh, the liner notes there on electricguitarloves.com. I'll include a link to the video so you can see that for yourself. Pretty cool.
This next bit of news comes also from Guitar World. Uh, Pliny announces a North American tour with Jacob Zatecki and Sungazer. The Australian virtuoso has celebrated the announcement with a new live video of Pan, shot in Sydney and Melbourne. Uh, the article goes on to say, Australian electric guitar virtuoso Pliny has announced a North American headlining tour with Polish maestro Jacob Zatecki and Brooklyn fusion duo Sungazer, which features YouTuber Adam Neely and drummer Sean Crowder in support. The trek, which will follow a string of 2023 dates in Australia and Europe, will commence Friday, April 28th at Brick by Brick in San Diego, California, making stops in San Francisco, Vancouver, Seattle, Salt Lake City, Chicago, Detroit, and more before wrapping up at the Terragram Ballroom in Los Angeles, California on May 27th. In addition to the new tour announcement, Pliny has unveiled a new live video for Pan from 2020's Impulse Voices, shot at both Sydney's Factory Theater and Melbourne's 170 Russell. Um, check out the liner notes, guys, for a chance to uh, to check Pliny out. I've been listening to him probably for the last uh, year or two. And uh, for you younger guys that are listening to the show, this is an artist that's probably more appealing, uh, like Polyphia and, and whatnot. Uh, so uh, be sure to check that out. If you're in an area where you can go and check this guy out, uh, I encourage you to do so. Um, you know, shoot, man, we've been cooped up with the COVID and whatnot. I know people are going out in droves to see live entertainment. And uh, this guy's at the forefront of the new guitar scene that's currently going on. Definitely a must-see. This next segment is a bit on our guitar education, and it's in reference to how to play Black Betty by Ram Jam on guitar. Um, I got this article from uh, iHeart or Kiss FM, um, and it goes on to say, here's how to play Black Betty by Ram Jam, classic rock, blues rock guitar lessons tutorial. Boy, that's not an SEO loaded title. If you ever wanted to learn to play the classic Black Betty by Ram Jam on guitar, and be a rock star, here's your chance. Really, it's just a link to a video. This is from the uh, YouTube channel Guitar Jams, and uh, in this particular instructional video, uh, it's from uh, celebrated YouTuber Marty Schwartz. I feel Marty's one of the, uh, the better ones out there, um, the better uh, personalities out on YouTube where you actually do get education from it. It's given the straight dope, so to speak. And um, I encourage you to check this one out because a that's a it's a really great song, and it's a fun one to learn. And uh, as you can tell from the sound snippet, you know between uh, Marty's uh, Les Paul and the and the Mesa man, uh, the tone is just whoo spot on. So uh, be sure to check that one out. In our uh, Gear Spotlight segment, we're going to be talking about the Electro Harmonics Silencer. Now I have one of these pedals um, on, that I use for various projects and uh, in my live setup. 
Um, why this pedal is great and why I feel that uh, it's worth investigating. Uh, you know, not all amplifiers out there have a, a loop component built in where you can cleanly plug in your guitar effects. And when I mean by loop, I mean effects loop. Uh, your modern amplifiers today, whether solid state or tube, and shoot, I've got an old Steve Vai amp, a carbon um, legacy amp that still has an effects loop. It was ahead of its time when it got put out. But anyhow, I like this pedal because it has a couple of neat functions in it. Uh, let me give you the description from their website. The Electroharmonic Silencer is a sophisticated noise gate that can tame a single pedal or an entire effects loop. The HX Silencer's three-control layout provides precision fine-tuning to fit your system axe and playing style. Threshold adjusts how much level is required to open the noise gate and allow a signal to pass through. Reduction regulated the degree to which the gated signal is reduced and is variable between negative 70 decibels and plus 4 decibels. Release controls how long the gate remains open after the signal drops below the threshold. Release time is variable between 8 milliseconds and 4 seconds. The I.O. includes a quarter-inch input, output, send, and return jacks. The foot switch selects whether the silencer is engaged or in bypass mode. Buffered bypass allows the effects loop to remain in your signal path when the gate is bypassed. A built-in AC jack accepts a standard power supply like the EHX 9.6 DC unit, optional, and the pedal comes with a 9-volt battery. There are three controls for precise fine-tuning. You can use it as an inline noise gate or to gate an entire effects loop. It delivers up to a negative 70 decibels of noise reduction. Features 8 milliseconds to 4 seconds of release time. It's got a buffered bypass. It's compact design and a rugged chassis. 9 volt battery included and you can pick one up for about 80 bucks so in a nutshell guys where you know yes you have the noise gate feature if you um, if you play live with a lot of uh, distortion and overdrive and um, you're getting uh, or your you know signal path is picking up a lot of extra noise which can happen this is a useful pedal to have um, where I use it in most occasions is by not using the um, uh, effects loop of some of the amplifiers I have and basically I use the pedal as my effects loop and I route um, my main signal path through it and uh, I love it because then you can just kind of fine-tune how much effects you want applied to your signal path um, before it gets to your um, amplifier. I, I like it. It's a clean option especially on some uh, some older amplifiers that don't have a built-in effects loop definitely worth checking out definitely should be in your arsenal so uh, be sure to head over to thx.com that's electroharmonics and check out the silencer
In today's artist spotlight, we're going to be talking about acclaimed artist Richard Hallebeck. Now, um, one of the things that blows me away, guys, is um, Richard is a really, really gifted guitar player, and um, he doesn't seem to have as much traction here in the States um, as he does overseas and, you know, the Netherlands. Me, personally, I, I'm really floored by this fact. I mean, this guy is every bit as gifted as any uh, major uh, guitar player out there, any major dude, will tell you. Um, and I feel he's worth investigating and checking out. I'm going to go into his bio, which I've um, taken off of the TC website. I believe he does tone, um, tone prints for TC Electronic. Uh, and here we go. And I quote, for people who like fusion with prominent guitar playing, that would be me, the name Richard Hallebeck should sound familiar. His unique style and lyrical phrasing has, have solidified his position as one of the best within his genre, and have seen him collaborate with several jazz fusion legends throughout his career. Growing up in the small town, excuse me, in the small village of Bilthoven, Netherlands, nothing pegged young Richard Hallebeck to become what he is now. Namely, one of the greatest voices within the world of progressive jazz and fusion guitar. His parents were musicians, and even though they heard a lot of the Beatles and Frank Zappa at home, and none of the huge innovators become what tipped the musical scale for Richard. Instead, it was a ubiquitous music show, Top of the Pops, that saw lightning strike with Richard at the age of 10 after witnessing energetic performances by Toto and Talking Heads on the show. From that point on, there was no stopping him. Richard took up guitar instantly and became a self-proclaimed total guitar nerd, dedicating every waking hour to the art of the sixth string. He dove deep into the intricate and virtuoso guitar playing of Pat Metheny, Alan Holdsworth, and Eddie Van Halen, all while still maintaining a deep-rooted love for the catchy tunes of the Beatles. At age 12, Richard was already performing with various local jazz and rock outfits, and at the age of 17, he officially became the youngest guitar player ever to be accepted into the highly respected Hilversum Conservatory, where he studied with jazz legend Wim Overgrom. He graduated with a master's degree in jazz, composition, and improvisation. Not only to be standing still for too long, Richard decided to evolve his skills overseas by taking a one-year course at the world-renowned Los Angeles Music Institute, where he would find himself studying with none other than Scott Henderson, who we've talked about in this podcast, Brett Garst, and Dan Gilbert. Besides seeing his guitar skills rise to new levels of excellence, Richard's trip across the pond also taught him a valuable lesson. No matter where you live, you can't wait on your lucky break. You have to make things happen for yourself! Exclamation point. The level of drive and dedication saw Richard Hallebeck record his critically acclaimed debut album, Generator, together with the legendary guitarist Frank Gambale and Carl Verhagen, and former classmates Scott Henderson and Dan Gilbert. From there on, Richard has gone from strength to strength to acting as everything as an in-demand session player, writer for the popular Dutch music magazine Music Maker, and the orchestrator 
behind his ambitious music venture called the Richard Halibut Project, where his ultra-created compositions have seen guest appearances by iconic guitarists such as Sean Lane, Andy Timmons, Greg Howe, Guthrie Govan, and Eric Gales. Richard is a grand musical collaborator, and there's no doubt that his lyrical phrasing and spine-tingling tones will grace several recordings to come. Now, gang, I've um, I've listed uh, some links um, for Richard's True Fire page, his main website, and also some additional information about him, uh, his bio. That um, there's some real key points in his career. Now, he's a, a busy working musician. I'm actually friends with him on Facebook. And uh, I'm here to tell you, and this one blows me away, and it could be the fact that he's over in Europe or maybe just Americans don't have a taste yet for, um, or an appreciation, better yet, uh, for the level or the caliber of guitar player that he is. Uh, I would encourage you to check out um, him on YouTube or any of his social channels and really give his music a listen. Uh, I feel he's one of the current pioneers um, of the jazz fusion scene and definitely should not be missed. Uh, I believe if you give his music a good listen and, and open up your ears, you'll become a fan. So is the YouTube guitar community helping or hurting the guitar industry? I just wanted to uh, wax poetic about this for a little bit. Now, me, you know, as a guitar player, and I've been playing for a long time, and I've been in the industry for a long time, um, there's some incredible resources on YouTube, you know. The only problem with, there's also a lot of clickbait and a lot of people that are in the YouTube community that are, I guess I should just say a point blank, that probably shouldn't be there. And um, because they got an early start on YouTube, uh, they've developed a following and, uh, you know, wind up becoming an influencer. And it's funny, I've watched a couple of these guys grow and develop an audience of like-minded people and maybe that's their trick that they were able to find an association um, with a particular YouTube influencer and, uh, and gravitate towards that when really at the end of the day I think under normal circumstances they wouldn't follow this guy or buy their products or listen to this person at all because it's just some random guy working out of his house. What I think is interesting is that um, there's another movement out there of, of consumers of this guitar content. And uh, some of the smarter guys out there are making these incredible videos where they, they've titled it with no talking. And they're just doing playing and, uh, and, and writing up in, in text what they're talking about, which a lot of people seem to gravitate to. I, I feel that's an interesting thing to note when you're out there watching these types of videos. Some people don't want to hear anybody talking. Uh, obviously, if talking and storytelling and uh, scripted things aren't your bag, you probably wouldn't be listening to a podcast. 
but on YouTube, it's just an interesting observation. You know, what you have there is basically an army of bedroom shredders and bedroom players. There's even groups coming out, um, and you can just tell by the way that they play and the way they interact with each other. It's almost like, hey, let's take four bedroom shredders and put them together and make this band because they don't really have any kind of performance or stage presence other than what they're playing. Their eyes are glued to the fretboard. Um, you know, they're not necessarily interacting with an audience. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see, you know, um, how these guys are live. If you go and look at some of the old cats and go to see them live, uh, performance was a big part of the education for music, like from Berkeley or, or from the Musicians Institute for performance is a big deal. So outside of that, that interesting movement, I've also noticed, uh, you know, there's some folks out there that are just, you know, they built up an audience. Maybe people like tuning in and listening to them and, uh, or watching their videos, but it's very blatantly obvious that these guys are like corporate shills, you know, and they're giving advice and helping feed, um, you know, this, uh, consumerism mania. Um, which of course, you know, the manufacturers and the companies out there, Hey man, if people are buying stuff, you know, great. But you know, at a certain point, um, outside of a few guys, uh, like Phil McKnight, um, who does honest work up there, um, you know, they're coming off uh, like corporate shills or they're just blatantly gear horse. <laughs> I've been guilty of that myself, you know, for sure. Um, but it's just an interesting observation. I'm not judging anybody. And if these guys are able to make, uh, or I have some success on YouTube, that's great. You know, it's like a big television channel with a lot of different choices. You don't have to watch their stuff, right? Um, I'm just talking about this just purely philosophically. It's an interesting observation, right? Are they hurting the industry? Or are they helping it? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Something to ponder anyways. Hey gang, I uh, just wanted to say thank you for uh, tuning in to the Electric Guitar Lives podcast. Um, I had to take a little bit of a break there, got kind of busy due to the, uh, you know, the holiday shopping um, frenzy that goes on at this time of year. Anyhow, I appreciate you tuning in and giving it a listen. I hope you're uh, out there playing every day and having a good time and having fun. Um, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Making Music. I also wanted to thank our sponsors, One Control Guitar Effects um, for ponying up, along with Making Music, ponying up a couple great boutique guitar effects pedals to give away. Uh, we had made that winning announcement on the uh, previous episode. So thanks for listening and thanks for participating. Next week, uh, we're going to be talking about uh, guitarist uh, and, you know, guitar legend, really, Frank Gambale. Uh I had the uh, pleasure of working with Frank. I did an iteration of his website some time ago, um, and uh, I had a good time working on it. Um, and I've got kind of a funny story about that. But uh, anyways, we'll get into that in the, uh, in the next episode of the Electric Guitar Lives podcast. I'm your host, Pete Williams. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Electric Guitar Lives podcast with Pete Williams, your weekly hang for all things guitar-related and more. 
be sure to tune in next week for another exciting episode. And remember, have fun. See you next time. For more about this podcast and future episodes, be sure to visit electricguitarlives.com. Thanks again for listening.